Good morning, everyone. Good morning. It's so good to be with you, whether you're uh, at home or work or you're here in the building. We're one church trying to follow Jesus together. And if uh, you're in the space here, you're wondering like, wow, it seems to be a few more chairs here than there were uh, last week. We are keeping everyone safely distanced. You're six feet from each other. But given the size and the capacity of the room, we're making each week a few more seats available. And it's so good to see you and your families here worshiping in person. If you're at home, open your Bible to Psalm 126. If you're here, open your Bible to Psalm 126, and we're going we're gonna to be there uh, this morning. Uh, this has been a very calm week, as most of you can tell. Nothing going on, right? Uh, what a wild time to be alive, and it's certainly not boring. And even in the middle of that, I want to remind you, God has a word of hope for you. He has a word of hope to speak into your life, and if you missed last week's message, uh, you missed that we're starting this year, centering three weeks, kind of a follow-up to our last week, uh, last message of, of last year on hope and what it means to hope in Jesus in the coming year. And in doing that, I had no idea in talking about hope in the middle of loss that we would see everything unfold like we did this week in Washington, D.C., uh, as you have Psalm 126, just a recap, uh, last week we looked at if we're going to follow Jesus, we need to learn to navigate hope through loss. We're going to lose things. There are going to be occasions in our life we're going to be disappointed, we're going to be hurt by people, even that we love, that we care about, we're going to be disappointed about outcomes, and if we follow Jesus, we can have hope in the middle of that. It, following Jesus never means, hear me, it never means we don't go through stuff. It never means that you have the easy life. It doesn't mean that everything goes well. It means that God's presence and God's love and God's power can be with you in the middle of all that. And that's what we want to lean in. That's what biblical hope is all about. Two things I want to build on that we talked about last week. When we go through seasons of loss, we're going to be tempted, number one, we're going to be tempted to give up on our God-given mission. You're going to be tempted to stop reading the scriptures. You're going to be tempted to stop serving. When you're, when you're hurting, when you're going through things, you're going to be tempted to pull back rather than engaging in. And that's a real response. But if we cave in, we're unlike Jesus who stood the test and said, you know what? I'm here for a purpose. I'm here for a reason. And I'm not going anywhere. And I, I hope that for us as a church, as we navigate a ridiculously hard season like now, that we press into the presence of God, that we press into love for one another. And the second thing that we looked at is that we're going to be tempted to lose compassion for others. You know, when I'm hurting, whatever compassion is in my tank, compassion is a deep-seated longing. Uh, the Bible word talks about like from the inward parts, from the guts, I feel for you. When you and I are hurting or we're going through loss, we're going to be tempted to spend all of that compassion on myself, on my family. We're going to go inward. And there's nothing wrong with self-care. That's actually important. But the way of Jesus is to have enough compassion for others. Remember, Jesus looked at the very people who wanted to murder him. And, and what did he say? I want to gather you like a hen gathers her chicks I love you. I want to bring you in close. And this is the way of Jesus. All right, that was going through loss. Now, we want to build on that today because how do we get through to the other side? At the end of loss is hopefully 
restoration, right? You get into a car accident and your car is wrecked. You, you hopefully, if it's not totaled, you take it to the shop in a hopes that it's going to come out on the other side looking as it's supposed to be, right? And so I want to think about today, how do we move from seasons of loss, which if you're in it right now, you're not alone. But if you find yourself in that place, how do we move through to a place where our life is rebuilt? Not that it's perfect, but it's restored. How do we, how do we move through loss into spaces where we can hear from God clearly and walk with his love, walk with his presence, and walk out of the other side more focused and more compassionate, which is the heart of God for us. How do we do that? This is where we get Psalm 126. It's actually, it's poetic, but there is in Psalm 126 at least two things I want us to see today that you can build your life on. Let's just read it together. Psalm 126 is a song of ascents. It says, when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter and our tongues with songs of joy. And then it was said among the nations, quote, the Lord has done great things for them, end quote. And then the psalmist says, the Lord has done great things for us and we are filled with joy. And then it moves to a prayer. Verse four, restore our fortunes, Lord, like the streams in the Negev, those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. All my poetic friends who love like poetry and song and lyric are like, man, I love this. And those a little more uh, whether it's process-driven or engineer-minded or like, what the heck was that? Like, I, I don't, that's about hope? Yeah, actually, there is a song. The Psalms are songs. It's words from the heart that are meant to be, to be said and sung together. And what this Psalm is, if you've ever looked at the Psalms, if you want to gain meaning, by the way, most Jesus-loving people, when you ask them what part of the Bible is the most meaningful, it usually comes down to the Psalms. Because the Psalms speak words that come from like our soul and we can connect with them. And usually when we're hurting and when we're in trouble, we go to these places and say, yes, I feel what you're feeling. I see what you're seeing. I'm experiencing what you're experiencing. And this is God's invitation to learn, learn from him through dealing with loss. This is a Psalm of lament. If you've ever looked at the Psalms of the 150 the biggest category of types of psalms are lament. What is a lament? A lament is a complaint. It's where the, the, the writer and the singers, like us, where we come to God honestly with our complaint, with our disappointment, with our struggle, with our heartache, where we pour out our life to God and say, God, this is not the way it should be. The majority, the largest category, and this speaks to the human experience, more than anything, we long to come to God and say, God, this is what's really going on. Will you meet me in this place? And I hope God does that this morning. Well, this is not only a psalm of lament or sorrow, it's also an ascent. Notice before verse one, it says, a song of ascent. This may be new to you, but there are 15 psalms in a row, Psalm 120 to 134, that are all psalms of 
ascent. What's that? It's a, it's a trigger for us who are reading 15 psalms in a row that were in history. They were sung by God's people as they made their way up the mountain in Jerusalem three times a year to worship God at these feasts, these parties, these celebrations. I want you to walk with me. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to walk through this together. These psalms in Psalm 126 is meant to be said and sung together with other people who follow Jesus. And we, as we're making our way up, Jeru Jerusalem was the place that God said, I'm going to meet with you. And so for centuries, no matter where you live, three times a year, you made your way, you packed your bags, you brought your family, and you walked for days or weeks to worship God with his people together. And, and it said that, that when people were going, they would break out in these psalms, preparing themselves. We're going to meet with God. And they would sing these songs. And this one is a heart cry. Jerusalem, if you've ever been to the Holy Land, it sits up on a hill. It's also called Mount Moriah. It's also called Mount Zion. If you see those words, they're talking about the same place. And this is a spot where God said, I'm going to meet with you and I'm going to meet your needs. And so God's people have always come together to say, God, we're, we want you, we need you. And we're anticipating that in the middle of our heartache, you're going to meet with us. We're going to pray to you and you're going to hear our prayer. We're going to, we're going to bring uh, sacrifices in your name. We're going to say, God, we're grateful for what you've provided. These were not just like a one-hour gathering. This was days and weeks where you carved out time to, to pursue, to seek, to love, to honor God. And I think in life, we need these spaces. We need set-aside times to actively pursue God together. Here's why. Life gets busy, doesn't it? And life gets distracting, and life gets full. And if we don't carve out regular rhythms where we're saying, I, I want to talk to Jesus all day long, but I'm setting aside this day and that hour and that evening and this morning because I want to I be with some of God's people and I want to talk to God about what's going on in my life and I want to I hear from him. If we do not do that, we will fall wayward, which is why God in his love set aside for his people, this is when you come and meet at my house. Well, so as we're together, okay, we've got a picture. We haven't seen each other in three to four months. And we live in our village and you live in your village and we all got our stuff and we're going down the road. It's kind of like when the Timbers are in season, right? If you've ever gone to a Timbers game, there are the fans and then the crazy people. Have you ever been, have you been to a Timbers game? You get the fans who just go to watch like the game. And then you have the cheering section where there's a guy with a chainsaw and he's buzzing around. And then, and then there's like a choir leader, right? I have to say, they look half drunk, no lie. I don't know if they are, but they're there and they are getting the people in a raucous. And if you look at that section, I've been at the games and I don't even know what the words are, but I just join in on the grunts, you know? Like, rah, rah, rah. And, and what they do is the choir leader gets them to chant in unison. Why? To support their team to remind themselves that we are the Timber Army and blah, 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 blah. 
Yes, I know. It's like, it's, I'm glad we could sing together. And so two things I want us to see this morning, two things that would be helpful for us as we think about our journey down the road looking for hope. Every one of us has already experienced loss. I don't have to tell you what you already know. The last 10 months have been ridiculously hard on top of the hard things we were already going through and then culminating in this week as we all looked in real time as madness, absolute madness is going on in the capital of the country that we live in and love and we're wondering, is there any positive direction? Notice what God's people do. No matter what's going on, no matter what you're walking through, no matter how this week has been, there are two things I don't want you to forget if you want to lean in and live with hope. Write down the first one. Keep walking and talking together. Friend, write that down because it's easy to forget. Notice verse 1. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. Verse 2. Our mouths were filled with laughter. Our tongues, they were filled with songs of joy. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. What, is, what in the world is the songwriter talking about? Well, most commentators will tell us this writer and these people are thinking back to something that happened in real history. God's people had been sent away from the land. Everything had been destroyed and they were in Babylon for 70 years. I want you to catch this. When, when you and I, when we're going to prepare our hearts for worship, when we're going to meet with God, what are we doing? The writer here is saying, there was a time when the fortunes of God's people had been destroyed. God, if you're not familiar with the story, God had called Abraham. Abram was his name. He changed his name, his wife was Sarai. He called her Sarah and said, you as a couple, I'm gonna bless the world through you because I'm going to send someone through your line who's going to change everything, by the way, speaking of Jesus. And Abraham has Isaac and Jacob, and their family grows into 12 tribes, and they grow, and they end up in slavery, thousands of people for 400 years. And they call on God, and you know what God does? He listens to their cry. And God in his love rescues them from Egypt, brings them through the desert to the place that he promised, he showed Abram, this is the land where I'm going to meet with you. And guess what? God keeps his promises. He keeps his, now his promises take longer and they're more complicated than we want, but he keeps his promises. So God brings these people to the land and under Moses, they're brought under Joshua. The people who are inhabiting are pushed out. And this is the place of God's presence. And what you would think is that God's people would follow him, love him, out of response. Man, God's been good. He took us from slavery in Egypt. He brought us to this land of promise. Boy, I ought to respond with love. Is that what they do? No. The people of Israel, whenever you read Israel in the Bible, you can underline your name. Put my name. We're Israel because they're humans just like us. And as soon as God brings blessing, what's the first thing that they do? is they forget him. And they go and do their own thing. And God sends judges to remind them, you ought to follow me, and they don't listen. He sends kings to govern them and lead them. They don't listen. He sends prophets, messengers, to tell them, come back, come back, come back. And they don't listen. This is the story of the human race. 
Israel's story is our story. And so why are we singing this song? Because at the right time, God said, enough is enough. You won't want me? Fine. You're going to get what you want. You want life without me? And guess what? In a moment, the king is sent to Babylon as a slave. All of the elite are shipped off to a foreign land to work as slaves. The poor are left in Jerusalem to die. The city walls are destroyed. The temple is destroyed. Everything's laid a waste. And this is a reminder, and hear this, my friend. If you want to live with hope, you need to remember your pathway. And the pathway of rebellion always leads to death. And the pathway of sin will always lead you to the place you do not want to go. And this is the story. So, so what we're singing is, our people have abandoned God. By the way, um, last week, I, I announced, if you missed it, I, I, I announced that Brandon was removed as a pastor and as an elder. And that was very difficult to do. But it needed to be done um, as a warning to all of us about the sinfulness of sin and the results of it and how it leads to consequences. And it's a warning to us to say we should check our own lives. We should not point fingers. We should check our own lives. And at the same time, I recognize this week has been hard. I've talked to many of you that I've called on the phone and you're wrestling with, you know, like here's a leader that you love and you feel like trust has been broken and can I, can I trust anybody? Can I trust you, Jose? Can I trust this church? And it's hard when you're navigating the confusion that, that our actions lead to. And so if you're in that spot, I, I totally get it. I, I would say that we, what we see in the Bible is when we're confronted by our own rebellion, if we respond with the right heart, God restores us. He brings us back. And so the end of the story for the Jesus follower is not our sinfulness. The end of the story is the love of God that wants to restore us to a place of closeness and display to the world that God is loving and kind and merciful. So I'll, I'll just say, as of right now, Brandon is taking steps towards reconciliation and repentance. He hasn't left the church, and he's meeting with our leaders, and there's a pathway to say, okay, that was wrong, but you know what? That's not the end. The end is the grace of God and the love of God and the mercy of God. And if we walk in holiness and if we walk in humility, God will raise us back up. By the way, that is this psalm. Lord, when you restored the fortunes of your people, when you restored us, we had songs of joy. You see, the end of our story and the reason that we could live with hope is because our sin is not the end. God took his people out of Babylon, and it, in real history, he brought them back. They didn't deserve it. They didn't deserve a second chance, just like I don't deserve a second chance, but God is a God of second and third and fourth and fifth chances. So you need to remember what can instill hope in your soul is that what's going on right now, the loss, the loss because of something someone did to you. The loss you're feeling because of the collective weight of negative news. And man, I, I think we're all going to throw the word COVID out once this is all said and done. Say, I banish that word. 
from the vocabulary because I'm tired of hearing it. You're not alone. Of the collective sense of the memories lost, of, of the things that we've done that we didn't really want to do, but we did. The end of the story is not our rebellion. The end of the story for the Jesus follower is Jesus swooping in, and when he sees a repentant heart, bringing us back. Lord, you restored the fortunes of Zion. Oh, by the way, they're walking towards Jerusalem. The temple had been rebuilt. See, God was faithful, and even though it was literally crushed to the ground, it was rebuilt under the prophets, Haggai and Zerubbabel and others and Nehemiah. The walls were rebuilt, and, and God's people came back to the land, and God's people were worshiping again. And you need to remember that there are seasons of loss and sin and rebellion and judgment, but we need to keep walking and talking together because if we don't, we're going to get insulated and isolated and forget the plot line. God's love is greater than our rebellion. God's love is greater than our sin. God's forgiveness, God's mercy is greater than anything we've ever done. So God forgives, God restores, and this is the nature of the song. Their lives were crushed. There was sorrow. But now they're going up the hill saying our mouths are filled with laughter. Our tongues with songs of joy. And it was said among the nations. By the way, everyone around them knew it. Look at what the Lord, the Lord has done great things for us and we are filled with joy. Friends, you need to hear this. Our moments of loss, our moments of judgment, our moments of lowliness are not the end of the story. It's the beginning of the grace of God being poured out and bringing us back. God wants to restore your life. God wants to restore your family. God wants to restore your joy. And it happens when we walk and we talk together. Here's the temptation. Last week we talked about the temptation. When we suffer loss, we're gonna be tempted to to miss our God-given mission. We're going to be tempted to lose compassion for others. Well, when we're on a low, we're going to be tempted, and we need to be reminded, we're going to be tempted to pull away from God's people and try to make it alone. This entire psalm is about we. It's not about you. The entire song was sung by the group of God's people who are in this together. And what God wants to remind you of today as we start the year, if you want to live a life filled with hope, do not give up on Jesus' people. Don't give up on Jesus' people. Well, Jesus' people are flawed, so are you. Well, Jesus' people disappoint, so do you. Well, Jesus' people don't, don't measure up to what they say. Well, neither do you. We're all, catch this, we're all on the road, broken people who love God but are flawed, and we're making our way up the mountain to meet with him because the only one who is right and holy and true is God himself. So we're never in a place where I can point the finger at you. You know what I'm supposed to do in my loss or in my joy is collectively walk with other people. You know why? There are days when I need to steal your joy, not steal, borrow. I need to borrow your joy. I don't have it because life is feeling heavy for me. But if you're walking along with me and you had a sense of God's presence and you've been hearing from him and you can remind me, hey, Jose, don't 
Don't you remember when God did fill in the blank? We, some of the struggle this year, my friends, in following Jesus has come from the fact if we've been so isolated from each other, we not, have not heard the stories of what God's been doing. We're missing out. See, like, God's doing a few things in me and a few things in you. But when I miss out on what he's doing in you and you miss out on what he's doing in me, we're missing out on the collective hope that comes when we all, with our baggage and our brokenness, make our way rhythmically. They didn't do this once. Three times a year. And then the rest of the year, wherever they were, they went to synagogue weekly for worship and prayer and scripture reading. And daily they prayed at least three times a day and meditated their mind in the scriptures. Friends, when the basic disciplines of following Jesus are broken down, I will lose my hope. So I need to return to the practice of coming with God's people. I recognize, you know, when you hear news like last week about a leader who's, you know, been removed from their place because of something that they've done. I, I recognize, here's, it, it's, the, it's the fight or flight syndrome, and it happens to all of us. Okay, am I going to stay and stick this out, or am I just going to jump to another church? And I don't blame anyone for having that, that thought, because when you're hurt, the first thing we want to do is remove the pain. You know how we remove the pain? Remove the people and just walk away and just go. And, 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 and that's the perfect time. And I've heard it said by so many people, I feel like God is leading me to another place. And I, I would just say to you, if he's actually leading you to another place, fantastic. But don't put a label on God saying he told you to do something when it's just the pain in your own soul. I think we need to be honest and in moments like this, not give up on the people that are around us and surround one another with love. Notice it says, we were filled. It's not something I could do on my own. I need to do this together. And it's really interesting, the contrast this week. Oh, by the way, this, this message was written b before the events of this week. So it's not like, a, Jose, way to twist the message around what's going on in D.C. It was already written. And so I think God in his goodness has given us a contrast. You have two groups walking this week. You have this group walking together in the worship of Jesus, walking together to learn from him, walking together, coming with our brokenness and saying, I don't have it together. I need God in my life. I need his power. I need his help. I need his hope. I don't, I, and I want to go with other people down this journey. And then at the other side, you have all sorts of craziness in D.C. where people feel like they, they need to have their voice heard to the point of violence. And here's the sad part. There's confusion in our culture because many of them are holding up crosses and claiming the name of Jesus, which is absolute foolishness. Because Jesus is with, when he's walking on planet Earth, he's with his people. Hear me. When Jesus is walking up the hill singing this psalm, he's with his people and Rome is in charge and Rome is violent, and Rome is evil, and Rome is destroying people, and Rome does not honor God. And where is Jesus? Jesus is in the company of brothers and sisters worshiping the Father. He's not protesting Rome, and he's definitely not acting out in violence. So you have a contrast of two ways of getting your point across. 
And I think for us, the Jesus follower, our hope is never, hear me, it's never in a party and it's never in a person, it's in Jesus. And the moment I put my hope in anything, in any other person than Jesus, I'm gonna be sorely disappointed and in the end, I'm gonna lose on the inside. If we wanna walk with hope this year, we need to walk and talk together. All right, I spent a lot of time on that one. The second one is kind of a parallel to it. I'll start in verse four. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. The second thing we need to do is we need to keep seeking and asking together. Friend, this is a season that we need to seek God and ask together. It went from joy. Lord, when you restored the fortunes of our forefathers, our hearts were filled. So they're reminding themselves, this is what God has done. This is how God's been faithful. And when you're in a moment that you're low, you need to have that list somewhere on your phone, in a journal. I don't care where it is. I hope you have your list of things that God has done for you. And when you remind yourself of what God has done, it will remind you, you know what? I'm not faithful, but God is faithful. But in this moment, they're not in a good spot because he's crying out. And the people are crying out to God saying, God, restore our fortunes, O Lord. And I love this poetic line, like the streams in the Negev. Now, I don't know what in the world this means, but thankfully I know how to read. So during research, I realized, having been to the Holy Land, it, it rains very infrequently. It's, it's mostly desert. And so the rains are not often. So rain means everything to the people who are singing this song. And what happens in Israel is there are all sorts of ruts where streams used to be and riverbeds that are totally dried up. We, it's hard for us to picture this in Oregon because we're always moldy. You know, we're, we're super wet. But this is a land that barely gets water. But what happens is sometimes the rains come in like a flood. And literal, I, we were out and looking at one of the little archaeological sites and you could see the huge riverbed. And they're like, a few times a year, this dry riverbed will become a raging river. And you look at it and you say, that's impossible. And so what the psalmist is saying, God, I am asking you, restore our lives again like a flash flood. God, I'm not asking you to drip out your favor and your blessing. I'm asking you to flood us with it. And this is the heart cry of every Jesus follower who's going through a tough time. It is okay to call on God and say, God, I don't need a gentle mist. I need you to pour down. And I'm asking for you, return our fortune. Return our fortune, Lord. Do something like we've never seen before. And so we need to keep asking and seeking together, remembering that we all made mistakes and we've all blown it and we all need the love of God. And at the right time, if we will come to him and say, God, return our fortunes, he will do it again. The reason we can live with hope this year is because God's track record is amazing. He's done it again and again and again. So I ought to come walking and talking, reminding myself, reminding ourselves what God has done. And then at the same token, not just reminding, but then pressing in and saying, God, 
I'm asking, I'm seeking, we're doing this together. Life may be hard and the season may be impossible for you. Can I just tell you though, God is faithful and he sees you where you're at and you don't have to come. I love the picture. Everyone going up the mountain and as we're going up the mountain singing these songs, I bump into someone who I haven't seen in a while, maybe from another town or village and I haven't seen him in years and we're singing these psalms and then in between the songs, you know, we start to chat and like, hey, how's the family? And I begin to hear the story of what's going on in your life. And then I share a little bit like, I haven't seen you in two years, but let me give you an update on this person and let me give you an update on my business and let me give you an update on our town and it's been really hard. And then we sing another song and we go up the mountain and we sing another song and we go up the mountain and it's, it's therapeutic. God's people have always come together and brought real life to one another, not just fake stuff. And so the invitation for us to live with hope is it happens when we don't give up on God's people. We walk, we talk, we, we press in, we, we don't quit, we don't bail. The human tendency today in our fast food culture is the moment something is not convenient for us, we throw it out. We throw it out. The moment a relationship had a little bit of a trouble, we get rid of it and move on. The moment uh, an issue comes up, we, we, we avoid it and we go the other way. And God's people don't do that. God's people press in together. And so the invitation for you and me today is to follow Jesus together, walking and talking. But you know what? It's not enough to have Christian friends. Here, here's just a side word. We say, well, I got a lot of Christian friends. Fantastic. Can I just suggest to you, having Christian friends won't do you any good. If, as Jesus-loving people, you're actually not seeking him together. So having a bunch of Christian friends and talking about stuff and saying, oh, wow, gosh, I'm sorry, and oh, wow, it's so, so hard to hear, that's not really going to help you. As a matter of fact, they'll probably lead to more hopelessness and depression. But if, if, if as Jesus' people, we actually go from hearing about our stuff to pressing in and saying, God, flood us. Like, I'm asking you to, now, if you give me a drop, I'll be content, but I'm actually asking for a flood. We need to get to the place in our Christian friendship where we move past the pleasantries and say, you know what? I'm a mess, great, I'm a mess. Well, let's press in and let's seek God together. And that's, that's, that's the restore our fortunes, Lord. And, and notice how it ends, because this is going to be very encouraging, because I suggested last year, what if 2021 was harder than 2020? And so far, we're only like 10 days in, and I'm look, I, I, I wish I had 2020 again. <laughs> 10 days in, I'm like, this is not, this was not like the turning of the page and the new leaf and the, the blank slate, you know, where we, it all works out this year. So far, this has been rough. But here's what we learn. Notice verse 5. Those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Don't forget the agricultural metaphor. Those who sow in tears. Those who press into God when it's hard. That's sowing in tears. That's climbing up the mountain, going with other people to worship. That's reading my Bible when it seems boring. That's talking to God when I feel like I'm, I'm just talking to the ceiling. Those who sow with tears, what happens to them? They're going to reap 
songs of joy. Now, sowing and reaping in Israel made sense. You sow in the winter months, you don't reap anything till April. Did you catch that? So sowing, pressing in during the hard times, it may be months before you see an answer, and thus is this cry of God's people, asking and seeking together. Just because I prayed about it today doesn't mean I'm going to see an answer tomorrow. But those who press in when it's hard will reap a harvest. Those who go out weeping, which is like many of us right now, carrying seed to sow, seeking God when it's hard, not giving up on your faith when it's hard, pressing in when it's hard, will return with what? Songs of joy, carrying sheaves, carrying actual harvest. And so I think the word for us this year is if, if we want to live with hope, don't you forget, you and I are going to be tempted to do life alone. Instead of walking and talking together, the enemy's going to say, you don't need them. The number of people I'm meeting these days, and these are good people, these are people that I love, who are coming to the conclusion, I no longer need the church. I, I have I have what I need. Well, what is it that you have exactly? Well, I've got the friends that I need, the ones I selected, who all fit my mold and think the way I think. And I, I got these podcasts that I listen to that you could turn off at any point and turn on at any point, and there's absolutely no accountability and there's absolutely no relationship. And and, 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 I, and I'm, I'm growing in that. That's interesting. Um, what about the carrying each other's burdens? And what about, what about the being there for other people? Well, I, I have my thing. The number of people that I'm meeting who are saying, I'm, I'm giving up on church, and I've decided, just like my iPhone, I'm going to download my apps and download my music, and I can customize whatever spiritual experience is convenient for me. And when it's convenient, I'll do it. And who are you to tell me otherwise? The number of conversations that have gone that way is, is alarming. Can I just say to you, you and I are saved into God's family, which is bigger than the friend list that you've selected. It's bigger and broader. It involves people that are unlike you. It involves people that you actually don't care for. It involves people that are different ethnic groups and different perspectives and different political choices. The church is bigger and broader than us, and we have no right to go our own road and to say, I'm going to worship God in Jerusalem, but thank you very much. I don't need the path that everyone else is on. Friends, that sounds attractive, but is absolutely destructive to your faith in Jesus because Jesus himself modeled it by walking up the road with everyone else. And so the invitation for us, first and foremost, is to follow Jesus. Are you following him? The beautiful thing about 10 months away from most people is it has shaken up our lives to know what's genuine and what's fraudulent. And some of us have been living, let's not kid ourselves, with borrowed faith. It's not our own faith. It's my mom's faith. It's my dad's faith because my mom and dad took me to church or my cousin forces me to go and then buys me brunch or, you know, whatever. And now you're, now you're having to evaluate because no one's going to a building for months on end. Do, do I really want to pursue Jesus because I find him to be who he says he is? 
Or am I living off someone else's faith? This is the opportunity, my friend, to actually follow Jesus. I'm pretty convinced, and I'm not going to like put this as a promise, but I'm pretty convinced that when churches fully open up, that a third or more who used to go won't go anymore. And, and this is going to sound crazy. I don't know if that's a bad thing. Because walking into a building doesn't make you a Jesus follower. And signing up to say I'm a part of a church doesn't actually make you a Jesus follower. What this could be for you, I hope, is a pathway to walk up the mountain towards the presence of God together. And the church could be for you a helpful instrument, a helpful tool for you to realize who Jesus is and how wonderful he is and how much he wants to save you. But, but I think just coming to the building that's been shaken up in our culture. And so we need to ask ourselves, are we really following Jesus? If not, the invitation is to do that now. And so in response, when we stand in a moment and sing, if you've not yet started following Jesus as an act of worship, say, Jesus, here I am. I got nothing to offer you, but I, I believe that you died and that you rose again to rescue me from my sin. And I wanna actually follow you. And that's the invitation. I think there's another invitation, and that's to, to walk and talk together, to not give up on God's people. The hope is found when we do this in community together, and, and as a practical perspective, we as a church have rhythms, <laughs> like there are feasts in Israel. We have rhythms. We take three sections of seven weeks, and we get together as communities, in homes, on Zoom calls, and we listen to the message on Sunday, and then we talk about it, and we bring things up, and we ask questions, and we bring our doubt, and we bring our concerns, and then we talk about personal stuff, and we pray for one another and love one another. And can I invite you, not out of a religious habit, but to press in, if you're not in a community now, we wanna help you. We're gonna be talking about it for the next couple of weeks. The winter session starts January 31st, and goes for seven weeks long. And we wanna invite you to walk and talk with people because that's where life is. And obviously the invitation is to ask and seek together. Uh, it's not just enough to go to a, a Zoom group and talk about a message if you're not willing to be open and honest about what's really going on. And so we're, we're inviting you to press in. And maybe some of you have been holding back out of fear of what people might think to let people into your life so they can build you up and support you and encourage you and challenge you and speak words of life to you. This is the way of Jesus, my friends, and we get to do this together. All right, I'm gonna invite you to stand if you would now, and we're gonna respond and worship. And as we sing these songs, we're gonna invite God to, to instill in us a renewed sense of hope, and hope is found in Him. Uh, it's found in Jesus because at the top of the hill as God's people centuries ago would go to the temple and, and meet with God. Now we realize that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit and God has come to meet with us. And so where two or three are gathered in his name, Jesus says, I'm right there. And so we don't have to go to Jerusalem to worship. We just need to see God around us and say, Lord, thank you for putting me with this group of people. And now Jesus, as I pour out my heart to you, as I lament, as I complain, as I groan, as I, as I let you in on what's going on in my soul, restore our fortunes, oh Lord. And I pray that he'll do that for you. Lord, 
we come with our stuff, we come with our baggage, we come with our sin, we come with our shame. Lord, we come with reminders of your goodness. Jesus, we remember how faithful you've been to us this week. Lord, we thank you and we think about the things you've already provided. And we cry out with the psalmist and the people of old, Lord, restore our fortunes. God, you know what we're going through. We're asking you, Lord, come in, sweep in like these barren streams and show us your presence in ways we haven't experienced before. Lord, we long for you. And so we sing, we pray, we give, and we receive the bread and the cup. We remember you, Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, and we, we come to worship you. Lord, receive our praise. Lord, have our hearts. Lord, we want to follow you with our mind and our, our soul and all of our strength. God, we want to be your people who pursue you, not just on Sunday. We pray these things as an act of faith in Jesus' name. Amen. Ryan's going to lead us in worship. We'll come to the table in just a few minutes.